Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. My amazing wife, Linda, has taught me that we have cancer because every one of us is affected by it in some way. Survivors, family, friends, and medical and support team members. And we all have a story worth telling. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 100 of the podcast. Gosh, it's hard for me to wrap my head around this milestone. Uh, When I launched this podcast, many of you know it was originally branded as the Colon Cancer Podcast. Uh, I did that over three years ago in February of 2015, and never in my wildest dreams did I envision reaching such a milestone of 100 episodes. All of the amazing people whose short stories I've had the privilege of, of sharing um, have touched me in in the deepest of ways. I could go through all of 100 episodes and that would be uh, uh, a whole podcast unto itself and, and I probably would leave some people out. But just know that um, my first thank you goes to the amazing guests that I've had on this show. You have Your stories have educated me, have inspired me, have touched my heart, and um, each of you holds a special place in my heart. To our listeners who, from across the country and across the world, who have supported the show, have shared the posts, have commented, uh, you're the reason why I continue to do this. Uh, to provide, as the tagline of the show states, to provide information, inspiration, and hope to folks like you, folks like me. Uh, I'm, I'm amongst you. I am a stage four uh, survivor. As a matter of fact, on the 31st of July, I will be recovering from lung surgery to remove one of two metastases, and I'll have the second surgery later on this fall. So, you know, as we all say, this is the club that nobody wants to be a part of, and certainly uh, I'm part of that club. But just thank you for your ongoing support, your encouragement um, for all that you do. And I would be remiss if I didn't take a few minutes to honor the memory of the four former guests of this podcast who have left us, starting with Sue Kadera. Sue was actually on the show twice. She was on episode 003 and episode 34. You can listen at wehavecancershow.com forward slash 003 or 034. Sue was one of the pioneers. She, I remember her telling me that... You know, so many people looked up to her because at the time she had been like a 10 year survivor. And one of the challenges was she said, you know, all these people are looking to me because of how long I've survived, but there's nobody in front of me that she could look to. And I know in some ways that troubled her, but I also know that it meant the world to her for how she touched so many people and helped so many people. And she will be missed. She will be missed. Sherry Graves Smith. 
episode 23. Sherry, uh, as a result of her disease, left her big corporate job as an attorney with Coca-Cola. And during her journey through her disease, turned herself or reinvented herself into a author of children's books, all around the theme of college sports. So she worked a licensing deal with many of the well-known college, uh, especially football teams, uh, particularly in the Southeast Conference. Sherry was from Atlanta. And she was just uh, a good soul. And you can just tell, and we never met, nor did I ever meet Sue, but you could just tell in talking to Sherry that this was someone um, that was truly uh, a, a great person. Tom Marsilia, episode 29. Many of you knew Dr. Tom and the amazing work he did to help so many people in our colon cancer community. Uh, you know, he just was just so generous with his time, with his love and support. And finally, Nate Allen, episode 44. I always tell people that if I ever formed a uh, podcast fan club, Nate clearly would have been the president. He was such a tremendous supporter of the work that I did with the podcast, was always asking how former guests were doing and when was the next episode coming out. And, And I'm so thankful that I got to meet both Tom and Nate at the Colorectal Cancer Alliance Conference in in Arizona in the fall of 2016. I, I didn't realize that it would only be a short two weeks later that Nate would pass away. And then, uh, unfortunately, Tom did so as well early uh, in 2018. So to Sue, Sherry, Tom, and Nate, know that you've touched me, that you've touched so many of us in the colon cancer and cancer communities, and you are deeply missed. And I hope and pray that your memories are a blessing to all that knew you. My guests this week are Fred and Heather Schiller. And I had the pleasure, and it truly was a pleasure, to meet them at the Colin Congress in March of 2018. And you know, as I in, do these interviews, I try to think of what what am I going to title these episodes? What's going to be the the title around the story? And this one was easy, because if I ever met two people that I could say this is a true story of love, it certainly would be Fred and Heather. They're high school sweethearts, um, and I can just see from watching them from afar when we were at Colin Congress, the adoration that each has for each other. And it was such a joy to be able to interview both of them for this very special episode 100 of We Have Cancer. So it's my privilege to share their story with you. Join me now for my conversation with Fred and Heather Schiller. Fred, Heather, welcome to the podcast. I'm thrilled to have you guys be a part of this. How are you doing this evening? Hey, hey. good. We're doing great. Thank you for having us. Yeah, I'm oh. really excited. Really, really excited. You know, w- one of the, the challenges for me doing this podcast is I don't get to often meet the people that 
that I interview because they're from all over the world. And every now and then I get lucky, I'll go to a conference or whatever, and I'll meet them, you know, who knows, could be a year or two years after, after I interview them. You're the first couple that I actually met before oh, I interviewed you, oh, which amazing. is so cool, which is so cool. And I was, show uh, that's awesome. <laughs> I was so inspired, of, you know, to hear your story. Uh, but where I want to start, Heather, you were, we were talking before we started about the trial you're on. Right. And, you know, I've heard people excited about trials. I don't think I've heard anybody as excited as you are about your trial. So tell us about the trial and what's going on with you. I'm on a trial with Katruda and some pill. I don't know what the name of it is. It's just a number. Um, and it's in order to get the immunotherapy to basically attack the cancer cells. And the biggest difference is that it's not chemo, it's immunotherapy. So the side effects are completely different. Like I used to go from, I went from, you know, going to infusion and coming home and doing nothing but sleeping for four days straight and just being nauseous and you know, it was awful. And then I went to my infusion for immunotherapy and it was just, I mean, it was night and day. Like I was able to get out and go to a movie that night. It was incredible. Like I've never been able to do that before. So, um, yeah, I think Fred, Fred came home like the next day and was like, I'm so glad to have you back. Have you back. That was like, yeah, it was, I mean, it was massive. So for me, I keep telling people and everybody, whenever someone asks how it's going, I'm like, this is going to change cancer. Like how people look at cancer in the future, it's going to go from being this, oh my gosh, you're going to go through all these horrible side effects and you're going to, you've got to be so strong and such a fighter. And it's so much easier. Like there's not, there's, yeah, you've got the mental side of cancer where you're dealing with, you know, oh, I have stage four and I'm going through all that stuff. You've got the ski anxiety stuff that's going to come up, but you're not having the day-to-day -day side effects struggle and the medications that you're taking and, you know, constantly having to like take one medication to deal with these side effects and the side effects from that medication. So it's just, uh, it's incredible. It will, it, as soon as, you know, once they finally push this over and people start being able to get this, it's going to be amazing. How did you find the trial? Um, I actually uh, went over to Emory. My doctor um, sent me to Emory to find a trial. And they sort of put me, goodness, this is an interesting story. Because, of course, Fight CRC has their clinical trial finder. So um, the doctors were kind of pushing me towards going um, the route of being back on oxaliplatin and I can't remember the other one, Lonsurf. Lonsurf, uh-huh. Oxaliplatin and Lonsurf to see the effectiveness of that. And I just remember the day before I was supposed to go on that trial, I was looking, I'd already looked and found a trial that I wanted and they said, oh, well, um, there's a big long wait list. You're probably not going to be on this one. Um, this is what's available to, to you now. So I was just the day before I was just in tears crying because of the fact that I was going to have to go back on oxaliplatin mm. and just the mental, that's such a mental drug to have to go through. That's a tough one. Yeah. Sensitivity and all that stuff. I just wasn't looking forward to that one. Um, so I was just crying. And then that day, it was the day before I was supposed to start. The doctors called me and told me that I had some kind of a, um, what was it? A blood 
thing. Enzyme. You're missing. Would... Your her blood was missing an enzyme. Right. That was necessary for the drug to take effect. So it made me ineligible for that oxalopine trial. So then all of a sudden they were like, well, we're just going to, we'll just wait it out and see what comes available next. You know, you've got call on Congress coming up, go, you know, go to that, come back and we'll see what's available. And then like two days later, I got a call that the original trial that I want, that I wanted to go on, which is what I'm on now was available. They had a spot open up. So I was like, this is just kismet. Like, I, I mean, how, who does that work? Like, I mean, I, I, I'm a person of faith, so of course for me it was like, all right, God, I get you. Like, you are totally leading this. Like, you are guiding this journey, like where we are supposed to go and what drug we are supposed to be on. Because once you start, once you go down the clinical road path, you just don't know. You have so many choices before you. You don't know what to decide to do. Like, you could pick one that sounds interesting, but you just don't know. I mean, you never know. So the fact that we were just led this way like it just all worked out in such a beautiful way so i'm so lucky and excited to be on this trial uh, it, it's just coming right out of your voice and your energy and i you know for the friends and i know you have so many that that are fans of the two of you and, and love you guys it, you know we you know just recently met but that was real obvious in washington uh, what a wonderful circle of, of friends that you two have. And they can hear, I, I, I'm sure they can hear it in your voice as I can right now talking to you, the excitement uh, about, you know, what, what's happening. Now, did you know going in that this would be much easier to tolerate than chemotherapy or is this a pleasant surprise? Yeah, very, very pleasant surprise. Like you just, I mean, you know, you hear, like the doctors will say one thing and then a lot of times you end up getting something completely different. Like I was told originally when I went on my first drug, uh, the first treatment that I had, that I wouldn't lose my hair. And of course, two weeks later, it was just falling. I mean, and that was heartbreaking for me because I had still not process the fact that I had been diagnosed with stage four like it takes when you've got stage four it takes a while for you to like process that oh yeah and just go oh, through yeah. that and then to be all of a sudden I thought okay well I can go through this and I won't lose my hair and I don't have to tell people and then all of a sudden I'm losing my hair I mean it was just heartbreaking so I just have learned to you know it's it's different for everyone so they might tell me something's easier, but I'm not going to necessarily believe them until <laughs> I see it for myself. So, and then just the fact that I was able to like even walk out of there. Cause when I was on, I was on full Fox Erie, the, I can't remember F5, FU, Oxaliplatin and, um, full fury, full fury. No, full Fox Erie, the oh. three of them with a Ritatican. So oh, I was on goodness. all three of them. Yes. So Honestly, it was a miracle if I could walk out of the facility during that first like infusion period when I had first been diagnosed. So for me to go from that to then walking out and being able to be like, all right, you know, I think I need like a, like, I think I want to go to a movie. <laughs> like How amazing that was like to just be like, all right, I'm good, you know? So yeah, it was just. We're, I'm incredibly lucky, incredibly blessed to be on this trial. 
Like, and honestly, once they figure out whatever they need to figure out to get this open and wide open for everybody else, it's going to be, I just, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Now, have you had any scans since you've been on it? Or were you able to determine the effectiveness at this point yet? I have. Um, they're just okay so far. I wouldn't say, you know, I wasn't totally happy, but I also wasn't totally upset. Um, we've got, it's no new growth, which is a good thing. And the current lesions that I have, some some grew a little bit and some stayed the same. So there was no shrinkage, but then the growth was small. So we're going to continue on. And from what I understand, it takes a little bit longer for the immunotherapy to kind of work and do its thing. So we're going to continue on and we've got a scan coming up in another couple of months to, to check on progress. Great. Well, also for the people that know you, they know you at least on, on Twitter and social media as Heather with a feather, <laughs> but your hair is grown in. So are you, cha- are you changing your Twitter handle? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I switched my feathers. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's ever going away at this point. <laughs> okay. Fred, you made a comment uh, that you shared that, you know, because of the uh, impact or lack of impact, I guess, of the immunotherapy versus the, the chemotherapy. Uh, you made a comment about, ha- you know, it's good to have Heather back. What does that mean for you? It means I have my wife back. It means I have Heather in my life again. Um, I mean, it, 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 it's heartbreaking, you know, having to drop, I would drop her off to treatment and then come home and I wouldn't be able to see or have a conversation with her for four or five days, sometimes six days in most cases, because the best she could do is drink a little bit of liquid and she just fall right back asleep. And I would have to remember to do all the medications, you know, I'm, I'm almost in the house just by myself and my wife is just laying there and I don't know what else I can do for her except for try and comfort as best I can and help with the side effects. And, you know, Going to this, I mean, I, I was fearful. When we were knowing that we we're going to go to another trial that was going to bring in oxaliplatin again, I was, I was scared um, because we were told we would not have to go through that again in most cases, and that we would just that would be done with it. And I was just worried about how what it was going to do to her and how it was going to break her down. And of course, I was worried about how it was going to break myself down in the process. So it's great to have her back. It's great to be able to come home and have those conversations and have dinner with her and watch movies and be able to plan a life together and plan vacations again. And, you know, she's not allow cancer to really take hold of her life as much as it has in some cases. It's, you know, Heather and I are patients, you, my wife are caregivers. And I, I, I say, and I hear other patients say that, Nobody understands what it's like to be a patient unless you're a patient, no matter how much your caregiver loves and adore you. And then the caregivers say the exact same thing, that nobody knows what it's like to be a caregiver other than a caregiver, right? How, you know, where do you go, Fred, for, for your support when you're being the caregiver? You know, what's your, what's your, you know, where do you fall back on, you know, to help you get through? You know, that's been a struggle over the last, gosh, three, four years that we've been dealing with this. If we go all the way back to her father-in-law having this, um, or sorry, my father-in-law having this. And, you know, I find I found myself in places where 
in a lot of really low places where I just like hold myself into work. I would just, I'd spend extra hours at work. I'd take my work home with me and I would just like, just be 100% focused on that and just to get through it, get through the day. And then it would turn into, I had to break away from that and I'd find a way to, that's unhealthy. So now I'd have my friends and I'd hang out with them for a while. So, and I'd get myself stuck into workout regiments and just hit the gym as hard as I can. But it was more of what, that was more of a way just to kind of break that frustration, the anger that I was having in this whole situation because I still wasn't personally dealing with it. So it was probably um, last year where I had a breaking moment where it was at the office. It was in front of a couple of coworkers, fortunately not the whole office, but I realized at that point that I needed to seek out um, actual counseling. So I, you know, and I think that's a hard thing for anyone, especially for men, mm -hmm. especially we mm -hmm. don't want to admit to ourselves that we need extra help, that we need to have that conversation with someone outside of the circle and really talk about it. even with our own group of guy friends, we really don't open up enough to really get those feelings and those emotions out. So I spent a good eight months going to counseling on about every two weeks to really delve through what I was going through and really talk it out and really get those out. And it helped tremendously. And I think that's something that a lot of caregivers forget to do for themselves. Um, it's one of the messages that I try to tell people, not just in our situation, but in all situations, that it's okay to ask for help. Take advantage of your works um, insurance that allows you to get free counseling in some cases and do that for yourself because you'll be amazed at what really comes out of it and how that helps you tremendously. I don't currently go to counseling anymore. Um, but it's always an option. The counselor I've been seeing or had been seeing still reaches out occasionally to see how I'm doing just to check in. And of course, I'm always open to go back. Um, but I realized there are better, healthier ways for me to, to take care of myself. And I had to break away from some of those bad habits of like internalizing everything. You know, I realized that during the first two years of this, I was not engaging my wife um, because I was always afraid to say, and bring up what I was going through because I was like, she already has to deal with this so much. And why do I want to burden her with what's going on in my life? But the biggest thing that came out of our conversations is that I'm neglecting, I'm, I'm neglecting my wife's ability to take care of me. That's what made our marriage strong. I took care of her. She took care of me. And now I was neglecting, she was, I was neglecting her of that ability, you know, of the one thing that she can still do is to emotionally take care of me, to have these conversations with me, I neglected her from that. And so that was hard to hear and to say it out loud, but then, you know, it really opened up our relationship over this past year and really strengthened our marriage even more so than I think we've had in the 15 years we've been together. <laughs> when we come back, Heather, I want to get your perspective on on how uh, this has impacted your relationship from your point of view. I often see people posting in the various Facebook groups talking about their struggle to stay hydrated. And if that applies to you, you should check out H2ORS. H2ORS is an oral rehydration solution. It's a medically accepted alternative to IV hydration. So for those of you who are struggling with this issue of staying hydrated, either due to an ostomy or perhaps chemotherapy, H2ORS is something for you to consider. It'll really help replenish your fluids and electrolyte levels. As a matter of fact, it has three times the electrolytes of most of the popular sports drinks without the excess sugar, artificial flavors, or artificial colors. 
My buddy Chris Shaw over at H2ORS is offering listeners of the podcast an opportunity to try a free sample of H2ORS. All you need to do is just go to their site, h2ors.com forward slash sample, and they'll ship a free sample out to you, no strings attached. And when you're ready to make your first purchase at h2ors.com, if you use the coupon code CCPOD, they'll give you 10% off your first order. Be sure to stick around at the end of this interview for our new Ask the Doctor segment and to learn how you can get your rear in gear. So Heather, from your perspective, I know when when I was in active treatment, I I felt that I needed to be strong for for my wife and for my family that you know, the, to make them let, let everybody know everything's going to be okay. How do you, what's your perspective on that? Hmm. Did you feel the same way? This is a tough one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, did you, did you feel the same way? Yeah, I think my, my, I guess I come from like a little bit of a different perspective because I was a caregiver to my dad. So in a lot of ways, I knew what he was going to go through already. And that was kind of one of the biggest conversations with my friends when I first got my diagnosis in the hospital is I, you know, I was sitting down with them and I was like, why, why does he have to be the caregiver? Like for me, it was, it's easier to be the patient because you've got so many doctors coming in and nurses and people, and you've got a team coming in and taking care of you whether it be physically or mentally or whatever, you've always got somebody there to ask, how are you doing? But for the caregiver, there's never that, how are you doing? So for me, like whenever I would talk to our friends, it would be, will you do me a favor and ask Fred how he's doing first? Like, stop asking about me. I'm fine. I've got doctors looking after me. I am good. Like, yeah, these side effects, they suck, whatever. But for him, like just to have a some sort of a release, just to just to have somebody ask how he's doing first for once would have been like just a huge help. So I think having that perspective of being a caregiver and then being a patient in a way it helped our marriage. Like it's just by the fact that I understand what he's going through in a lot of ways. Like he's not gonna tell me what he's going through. But I already know. I know the Google searches he's done. I know, like you didn't clear out that history, that browser history, huh, Fred? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't check his history, but I already know. Like I just know from being there. I know what he's going through. So I think, in a way, like it just like I, I, I mean, again, I'm a person of faith, so I don't want to say like, yeah, my dad had cancer for a reason, but I feel like we went through this and. God gave us that experience for a reason so that instead of being the couple that cancer breaks apart, we were the couple that it brought us in an odd way closer together. And that's true from his perspective outside of my own, but definitely from my own. I want to talk more about that. I I like to watch people and just kind of read what, what they're about and uh, I'm a romantic at at heart too, and I'm blessed that uh, that I've been given a second chance at, at love. And 
I took me, didn't take me long in Washington to just from across the room watch the interaction between the two of you. And I would see the two of you sitting there and, and Fred stroking your back and, and things like that. <laughs> I'm like, and I noticed, I noticed. And I said, that's cool. I said, that, that, tell, that tells me something, you know, of these two people who I barely know. Uh, but that tells me something about what's going on. And then certainly, you know, you were up on stage and sharing your story with all of us uh, while we were there as well. How has your cancer impacted your marriage? You said it's brought you closer together, but to talk to me a little bit more about that. From my perspective, you know, you know, when people hear the term intimacy, they think of physical intimacy. And when you have cancer in your family, in your marriage, you know, the physical becomes much harder. And I think that's what unfortunately causes so many of these relationships to break up is that you've lost that part of it. And there's a more of an emotional and mental intimacy that now takes place. And it's just, I, I, it's so hard to explain how, like, I loved her. I've loved her for so long. And we've been together for 21 years now, total. If we talk dating through engagement to marriage now, we're hitting, well, this year will be our 15 years anniversary in October. And you think that you've experienced it all. You think in that time frame that the love can't get any stronger than this, that it's just, it's, we're just where we're at. And I remember the day it was, it was right after her first surgery. Um, it was the ER surgery when we discovered that it was cancer, the emergency surgery and everything like that. And I think I was stuck in the hospital for almost five or six days before I was even allowed to get a relief to come home for a minute because it happened in the middle the beginning of the week. I was stuck there before anyone from our family or friends could come and relieve me. And I didn't want to leave. And I just remember coming home and taking a shower and just crying. Um, it was the first moment I was able to break down. And I just remember thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. I can't lose this person. I can't. And it's just, I felt this huge wealth of love inside of me for her that I just had not felt or never felt before. And I don't know why this changed or what caused this. And then everything else just came natural after that. It's just so hard to explain why. I can't really put it in words. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. That's okay. That's okay. Heather, how, how about you? <laughs> how about you, Heather? Yeah, I'm I'm in the same like boat like as far as difficulty. I guess like it's kind of looking back like I constantly find myself looking back at our history together and like going back from like our years of dating and that you know for How old how, let me jump in. How old were you when you had your first gosh, date? I was 16 and he had you, maybe he just turned 18, I think. Wow. Yeah. 17, 18, yeah. yeah. Wow, that that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm I wouldn't call myself a baby then, but now I'm like, dude, we were totally babies. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> and then just the fact that we had the maturity that, like, I saw something in him then that nobody else seemed to pick up on, pick up on. like, you know, and I wasn't, like, I wasn't one of those kids that was like, oh googly eyes and I'm gonna marry this guy and I was like dude I'm 17 like I'm 16 I'm not you know whatever happens happens but then it just there was just this ease to it and there's always been an ease to it we've never had we have disagreements 
that we're not disagreeable with each other. Like we're just, it's just been like, and there's so few relationships that you ever hear of people getting along in that kind of way where it's not just a constant back and forth of, you know, one having to, which I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and and not everybody's as fortunate as as you two and us. Um, and I'm not sharing any trade secrets cause I had Sarah DeBoard on the show and back you know, some time ago. And she talked about how this experience just magnified the trouble she had in her, in right. her marriage. And so I was just, I was sitting here thinking about your story, my story, her story. And, right. and I think what we come to realize is that adversity gets ma- you know, will magnify any anything in a relationship it will magnify if there's things that are not good and will for even magnify those things that are good yes and it sounds like for you it absolutely has magnified the good yes yes yeah yeah that's so true like cancer yeah it's either going to make or break you and it's going to bring out the good and the bad i mean we certainly have had our issues i mean it hasn't been perfect i would say but definitely not been an easy road no but um but of course it i don't know it just makes you work even harder when you find those little glitches you're like all right so if we hadn't had cancer we'd probably face this a little bit differently but since we do we're gonna fight a little bit harder for this because we know how how lucky we are to have each other and to be on this same sort of wavelength and just, I mean, I don't believe in like having one soulmate. I believe like they're, but in a way, like we're soulmates. I have soul friends. Like there are people, I believe that people are sent into your lives at certain times to help you through whatever, like, and maybe it's, they're in there to bring adversity or maybe they're there to bring goodness, but either way, they're brought into your lives to bring change or, or, or better yourself. And Fred has certainly been that for me. So yeah, cancer has certainly given us a reason to fight even harder for our marriage. Yeah. And I get it. And you, you remind me of, uh, of another interview that I did uh, a dear, another dear friend who I've never met, uh, Don Iker, who lives in Hawaii, and I had Don. I've had a Don on the show twice, but back in episode forty-six, uh, listeners, if you want to check out my interview with Don, that would be at wehavecancershow.com forward slash zero four six. And Don left me with a quote that just so aligns with what you just said, and and what she said was, and she she shared it from where she heard it, and she said, you know, this is what I live by. It starts. When it starts, it ends when it ends, the right people show up, and what happened is the only thing that could have happened. Oh, and so that, true. That, is, that, yeah. sound, that sounds exactly like what you're talking about, you know? So that's really cool. You know, and on the, on the topic of intimacy, I, I love that you brought that up, Fred. Uh, it certainly is a big, big issue for many couples. I was fortunate to have uh, Dr. Sage Bolte uh, as a guest, and that was episode 69. So I, I know I'm rolling out some old episodes, but it's important because yeah. I, I want, if someone were to hear what you said, Fred, and say, yeah, ta- yeah, no kidding, boy, that whole missing the physical piece is really wearing on me. Uh, 
I, I want listeners to know that there's support out there. So you should go back and listen to my interview with Dr. Bolte, and that would be at wehavecancershow.com forward slash 069 because we had a very frank discussion about that topic, and I think it can really, really help people. Uh, and, and I'm so glad that you brought that up. Um, Fred, what do you want people to know who perhaps are listening to this interview and maybe recently uh, someone they love? received a diagnosis and, you know, heard those three words that all of us just dread hearing and are looking for, for guidance and support and obviously maybe, you know, panicking, what would you want, you know, a new caregiver to know? I want them to know that you're not alone in this fight. And, um, there's always someone you can reach out to. You just have to be willing to ask for it and stand up for yourself in this, um, so many times as a caregiver, I found myself early on just putting myself in the shadow of her because I didn't want to get in the way of the doctors. I didn't want to get away with what they were trying to do for her. And sometimes you have to just step up to the doctors and ask, them, I need help too. I I need support in some way or some fashion. Um, but cancer isn't the end of the road for your relationship. It's not the end of the road for your friend or your or the person you love in your life. It's It's a way to really focus your life and figure out what truly is important and to actually live it. Um, I feel like I live my life more now than I ever lived it in the past 10 or 15 years of our marriage because we put a more focus on what is important. That's our love for one another. That's our love for traveling. That's our love for just enjoying life for what it's worth and, and realizing what's important for us. So um, I would tell caregivers, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to find someone who you can confide in, who you can talk to. Counseling was a great option for me. It helped me to um, focus in on what I needed to support my life. And because I forgot about myself, I spent so much time watching my wife go through what she was going through that I neglected my own health, I neglected my own mentality, I neglected my own my own physical health, and I was I was I was killing myself in the process. So. I know what you're going through. I can, you can find me. You can find me through Fight CRC, and I think Fight CRC truly saved my life. Wow, that's powerful, Heather. How about you? Oh goodness, uh, for someone newly diagnosed, I would say, oh, goodness, it's such a tornado. Like in the beginning, like it's just a whirlwind of not knowing what to expect. Um, and for me, I was kind of afraid to actually reach out. Like it. I had such a hard time just getting to the point of accepting the diagnosis. Like it took me, gosh, I, I mean, at least, what was I diagnosed at the end of February? It probably wasn't until close to July that I reached the point of accepting and actually went public um, outside of my own family and like close, close friends. Um, so, and that's okay. Like, I feel like I just want to tell people that's okay. Like, it's okay. Wherever you are is okay. There's no right or wrong to this. Like, you're going to go through it however you're supposed to go through it. And don't feel like, oh, I'm, I, because I'm not accepting this, I'm doing it wrong. Or I just, I, there is no right or wrong. Like, we're all in this doing the best we can. And that's all you can do is do the best that you can. And 
whether it takes you four months to reach out or you're immediately reaching out to like a, you know, a nonprofit fight CRC was wonderful for me. Um, actually the first way I actually reached out was through Instagram by looking by the hashtag colon cancer and just wow. find people my age with colon cancer. Cause that was the biggest problem is that, yeah, early onset, there's a rise, but yeah, it's kind of hard to find those people. So through Instagram, you actually find some younger people. Um, and that's actually how I found Sarah. And Sarah, for me, was just a life changer. Like just seeing her out there living her life, stage four. Like she's on treatment, what is it, like 120 or something? I don't know. <laughs> she's a rock star. I just think she's the good, I think she hung the moon. I, I think she's incredible. Yeah. So I just reached out to her. And she was actually one of the, the first call on Congress I, I attended we went to like the opening like cocktail hour or whatever. And I walk in and she's the first person that I see. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this place is amazing. Like, <laughs> I'm meeting people that I know online and Fred's like, see, you're famous. And I'm like, dude, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. I'm like, but find people I know. Yeah. And I, and I get, and I get it, you know, because I've been involved in other organizations. I'm not going to, you know, be down on anybody or anything but uh the call on can the call on congress was my first exposure person you know physically to fight crc and i wasn't there 20 minutes i turned to michael sola and angie and i said you know what i found my home yes i found my peeps you know i really did first time too yeah yeah what's that yeah uh our first call on congress we said the same thing we're home Uh, uh uh-huh wow Got or tried. Yeah. For me, I kept saying game changer. Like this, it, it just totally changed how our outlook on cancer and our fight and how we fought. Instead of it being focused on me and the day-to-day -day with chemo, it became we, we were able to focus outside of ourselves and on the legislative goals and research and that sort of stuff. And so it was, and then just reaching out and advocating with you know, within your own hometown and helping out people that way. Like it just, it was incredible. So yeah, once you, once you are, once you get past that, you know, point when you learn to accept it, then reach out and then you're going to find your home, your family. And we're here, we're here just waiting for you. Like just, just come find us. Okay. So where can people find you online? <laughs> Great segue. I'm most active on Instagram at tis heather t-i-s heather and you can also the hashtag like anywhere is available it's heather with the feather with the feather with I the feather that right. uh, <laughs> it's not a feather it's the, the feather fe the feather okay <laughs> yeah great. you might uh, find something strange if you do but yeah no i'm just uh, <laughs> <laughs> who knows fred how about you um mostly instagram uh so it's fs underscore seven phoenix and uh -huh. um find me on there. Um, I think you'll, you'll find me definitely connected with hashtag Heather with the feather. Mm -hmm. Um, and also probably like hashtag night and his bride is one I use a lot. Whenever we're on vacation, I post pictures of us together. I love that night and his bride. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been such a treat. I'm so glad that you were able to make the time to, to come on the show. And, uh, first and foremost, I just want to wish you good scans 
Thank you. Every, every uh, you know, each each round to to show, uh, you know, let's get stable first, and then let's get right. improvement. You know, stable stable's been the name, the word hanging over my head lately, and I'll take it. So we all, you know, if we can't be NED, let's be stable, and and let's get to NED someday. So first and foremost, that. And uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share your story. I know it's going to touch people and inspire people. And uh, it, it's so great, great to make this, uh, this connection with you guys. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for letting us share our story yeah. as well. I'm Heather. I'm Fred. We're, We're with, with Lee, Lee and we have cancer. We've got a number of exciting events taking place across the country, several Get Your Rear and Gear events coming up on August the 4th uh, for our friends in Portland, Oregon. There is the Get Your Rear and Gear 5K Run Walk and Kids Fun Run that is taking place at Mount Tabor City Park. And also on August 4th for our friends in Green Bay, Wisconsin, they too have a Get Your Rear and Gear event. This is a 5K run one-and-a-half-mile walk and kids' fun run. The Green Bay event is taking place at Aurora Bay Care Medical Center. On August the 12th, for our friends near Colchester, Vermont, is a Get Your Rear and Gear 5K run walk. That is taking place at Bayside Park in Colchester, Vermont. And then we've got the Caboose Cup, the Sean McQuellen Memorial Golf Outing, taking place on August the 15th for our friends near Victoria, Minnesota. This golf event is taking place at the Deer Run Golf Club. On August the 19th is a summer jazz benefit concert for our friends in Wilmington, Delaware. This is taking place at the Rockwood Park and Museum, featuring the members of the Apoquinmic High School Jazz Band, the Colby Wall Quartet, and a number of other guests. And again, this is taking place on Sunday, August the 19th, from 3 to 7 p.m. at the Rockwood Park and Museum in Wilmington, Delaware. The next Get Your Rear in Gear taking place after that for our friends in Des Moines, Iowa on August the 25th. This is a 10K run, 5K run walk, and kids fun run at Raccoon River Park in West Des Moines, Iowa. And that is your Colon Cancer Coalition events for the month of August. Welcome to Ask the Doctor, where your questions regarding cancer and cancer treatment are answered by Dr. Tim Cannon. Dr. Cannon is with the Inova Medical Group in Fairfax, Virginia, and he's a board-certified medical oncologist specializing in gastrointestinal cancers. Dr. Cannon, welcome back. Uh, our question this week is around side effects. Uh, where can patients get information on managing the side effects of their cancer treatment? And what should they do if they find that uh, their prescribed uh, you know, initial treatment to manage these side effects uh, isn't working for them? Yes. So um, this is a question I think about a lot because so many of our patients are on chemotherapy and, and there are so many side effects. And uh, there are uh, a lot of medicines that, that work for most people when it comes to nausea or vomiting or pain, but there's really nothing that works for everybody. 
And so it is important to go into this understanding that whatever medicines you've been given have a very good chance to work, but there is a little bit of trial and error uh, that goes along with this whole process of chemotherapy and managing side effects. I think that, you know, the first thing um, uh, to do is um, always ask your nurse. If you have just done chemotherapy and two days later you're vomiting, usually that is preventable. And it's important to not just accept that as normal, but to, you know, ask, call the, call the hotline at your the nurse's office and say, you know, um, uh, you know, I'm having vomiting. Is there something else I could try? And there generally always is something you can try. Now, uh, it's not always fixable. Um, it's, uh, you know, sometimes, um, you know, there isn't uh, uh, the, the vomiting, uh, you know, goes on despite trials of multiple different medicines, but, but usually it is fixable. As far as ways that you can seek out the answers yourself without the help of your healthcare provider, you know, there's always chat rooms where people share information about what works for them. Uh, you can, uh, whatever chemotherapy you're getting, um, you know, you can actually uh, uh, open up the uh, FDA label for the for the treatment and see what people are getting as side effects. Um, there are um, a host of online resources um, and uh, Facebook groups where people discuss uh, side effects. Uh, and so, you know, you can always uh, learn some things from from the online community. But I think you always want to start with your provider's team. That's helpful. Thank you so much for that information. Thank you. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsors, H2ORS and the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. We Have Cancer is a proud supporter of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer.